beloved, trust that you're doing well, um, faithfully enduring to the end, hopefully. I know that April is a tough month, especially for those of you that are in school. And then for those of you who aren't in school, listening to your friends talk about how difficult it is uh, on them. So uh, trust that you are doing well. Grateful that you're here with us this evening. Uh, if you have your copy of God's Word there in front of you, I invite you to go to Colossians chapter 3. Uh, if you don't own a Bible, didn't bring one with you tonight, there should be one in the seat in front of you. Um, on page 818 is where we'll be tonight. Uh, don't want to presume or assume that you've ever read from the Bible before, so just so you can follow along with us, the big numbers are the chapters and the small numbers are the verses. So I want to make sure that you're able to follow along with us this evening. So Colossians chapter 3. We're going to continue to make our way through this book, and we're going to look again tonight at two verses, thinking through the idea of what does it mean to be part of a Christ-centered family. So, if you're there in Colossians 3, if you'd stand with me as we pay honor to the reading of God's Word tonight. Two verses from Colossians chapter 3. This is the Word of the Lord. Children, obey your parents in all things. For this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. And we should praise God that he's preserved his word for us. Let's pray together this evening. Father, we come before you tonight, and it may seem odd to us to, as a college ministry, to consider what it means to be part of a Christ-centered family. But Father, your word, every part of it, every bit of it, all of it, can go Paul's letter to Timothy, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine and for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And tonight's passage doesn't uh, meet an exemption list for us. And as we make our way through your word, we are often reminded of how important it is for us to study every line of it. So I pray that you would help us tonight to tune our hearts and our minds and our eyes and our ears to your word, that we might be focused on it. Father, we also know tonight that we're not the only people in our city who are proclaiming the gospel, who are making much of you tonight. I think of our friends at Graceway Baptist Church, as they have a college ministry there under the direction of Zach Deal, the different staff members that are there. Think of Bob Stevenson and Kyle Gangle, Tyler Shores, Bob Waller. We just ask that you would allow their ministry to increase and grow, uh, not just in numbers, but spiritually, Father, that those people would come to a full understanding of what your word means. Also think of our friends at Spring Hill. Think of Jared Proctor. Think of Elijah Van Hope. Think of Michael Nall tonight, Father. We just ask that you would, again, you would allow their ministries to grow and expand. We know that we don't own the corner market or have the corner market on the gospel, Father, and so we just ask and pray tonight that those ministries would be blessed by the ministries that you're making through their ministries. And then, Father, again, we just ask that you tonight that you would help us to 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 zone in to zoom in on your word that we might be changed by it god i need to be reminded constantly that there's nothing that i can do as a pastor that will change any person's heart or any person's mind other than through the power of your word and by the work of the spirit so thank you for that today thank you that we do need you tonight and that you give us that help but i pray that you If you are aware of what's 
a growing uh, trend in our um, society, you would know that there's a growing trend away from the familial unit, uh, this idea of being a family. Um, And cyclically, so going through cycles, there's always in culture a large degree of unrest anytime the average age that people are getting married is pushed later in their life. Um, And you can follow this cycle throughout history. Um, Now, the average age might seem young to us, but you also have to take into consideration um, the average age of a human being. So, a hundred years ago, um, getting married at 19 might seem very, very young, but if the average lifespan of someone is actually quite old, if you're only going to live to be 60 or 70 years old, and that's the top end of life. And you'll oftentimes hear kind of a lament um, or people talking about the lack of um, families. You'll hear about declining birth rates. You may not. Um, one day you will if you read a newspaper or for whatever reason happen to hit the scan button on your radio and for whatever reason maybe your radio's broken and it's stuck on NPR radio. You'll hear about these things. Maybe you will never hear about them. Who knows? But we are living in a society that devalues family. Um, we live in a society that's uh, highly individualistic. Uh, one only needs to spend five minutes on social media to understand how highly individualistic our society has become, even inside of families, like this idea of a dad having his own Facebook page and a mom having her own Facebook page. A mom might have a Twitter account and an Instagram and then a crunchy mom blog. Like there's all these different outlets for this highly individualistic society to play and make its way out. And as a result, families are downplayed. And, and a lot of times what ends up happening is we take our cultural cues um, specifically around in the area of family from the TV and the movies that we enjoy. Think of that great episode of that uh, classic TV show, Boy Meets World. Very early in the production of that uh, television show, there's a great episode where um, a typical classroom scenario unfolds. Um, in the early 90s, it was not uncommon for a homework assignment for uh for people to be put together in a familial unit. We can't do that now in our society and culture because we might offend someone based on their perceived and misunderstood uh, sexual orientation. But in the early 90s, you could get away with this on television. If you remember this episode, Corey uh, thinks it's hilarious because Feeney has made Minkus and Sean to be brothers only to find out that he's going to be the dad and Topanga is going to be the mom. Shocking, right? It's just shocking. You see it coming. You don't know what to do about it. And if you have never watched Boy Meets World, um, I'm sorry. Uh, I don't know what you've done wrong in your life and uh, gone to Hulu. So uh, it's a cultural cue because what's what's ironic about it is this is what an ideal, the, the whole point behind it is what does an ideal family look like? A mom, a dad, and uh, two and a half kids, right? That's the idea of an ideal family unit. And, and, and the, the hilarity that ensues from that is based around perceived notions of what it means to be a good dad, a good mom, a good brother. I don't know that we've really moved much past that television episode. Because I think if we were to survey the room, there would be an idea of what it looks like to be a part of an ideal family. What does an ideal husband look like? 
I'm going to go up and I say, well, you'd be ideally an Instagram husband. You want to take great pictures, right? Sunset Park pictures, right? Because that great Taco Bell could be there. If I could kind of blur that and spell just a reminder again of Taco Bell and commercials, you would just sad paying more for the Taco Bell than the commercials. But this idea of we go around the room and we would ask you, what does it look like to be a part of an ideal family? What does it look like to have an ideal husband, an ideal wife? Um, one could only imagine the panoply of answers that would come if we were to survey the men in this room and ask what an ideal wife would be. Um, some would articulate things to do with sexual activity. Some would articulate things to do with cooking. And some would probably idealize something to do with in the area of playing video games. So, I mean, it's just kind of wide open. Now, we um, turn our attention to kids and we say, what does it look like for you and your girlfriend to have kids? And some of you guys begin to freak out because you're not even sure that you're committed to buying her a Godfather's pizza that the college ministry is paying for now. Um, but you would begin to unpack all of these things. And you say, David, well, what is the point of this introduction? I wish it had one. I, I'm getting there. And it's this idea that regardless of what area of our life we're talking about, when it comes to how we're going to live, the major decisions that we're going to make, the things that are going to inform them, the Bible speaks to all of them and it informs all of them. And there's not one single area of our life where the Bible and God are not giving us a guide to how we are to live for his glory, his honor, and ultimately our own good. But a lot of times what ends up happening is we allow outside influences, namely our perceptions and our experiences, guide what we think X should look like. For instance, the way that you date right now and the way that you think about marriage right now, thinking about the last time that we gathered, is probably influenced by two things. The marriages that you saw as a kid and the dating experiences you've had up to this point. 70% of that relationship is probably guided, directed by that instead of what God's word says about what you should be looking for in your future spouse. The same thing happens when we get to the area of kids and parenting. And so tonight... This is good for us to consider uh, for a couple of reasons, and they'll come out in the applications as we go. But one that comes primarily to our minds is a lot of times what we are guilty of is not thinking about things until they happen to us. So we don't think about what it's going to look like to be a dad until we're staring that down. We don't think about what it means to be a mom until we're staring that down. We don't think about what it looks like to be the kind of kid that honors their parents until we're not being that kid and we're getting in trouble for it. Like that's basically my whole childhood is realizing that I'm supposed to live a different way only when it's too late. Like if we could rewind, I would redo that moment. So when we think about these things in light of those things, we need to examine them in the lens and with the lens of Scripture. And that's what Paul does. There's not one area of our lives where he, he is not, and I don't mean Paul is, like Paul's this random dude that's giving us great marriage and dating and uh, child-rearing advice. But the Holy Spirit, as he inspires Paul, is giving us how we can think about even our families 
being Christ-centered. And he does this by breaking the groups, again, down into two people, two people groups, parents and kids. Starts with the kids. Let's look at verse 20 again. He says about the kids, Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Paul begins by addressing the kids. And you say, why are you using kids and not children? Because in our society, the way that we think about the relationship of children, when I say a child, you think of someone who is real little. The word that is used in the Greek, techna, does not limit to a small child. So Paul's not just writing this instruction to small children. It's like, okay, Colossae, First Baptist Colossae, cut the kids' ministry today because we've got to bring the kids in so they can hear what Paul is going to say about how they're supposed to live. So no more craziness. Bring them in here, and it's going to be crazy. Well, first of all, that probably wouldn't have existed. They would have been sitting there anyway. But the words that are coming out of Paul's mouth are not just directed at small children or even what we would think as elementary children. Actually, what's in Paul's mind and in Paul's purview is any child that is still living at home or is under the guidance of their parents. And you could put it this way. Any child that their feet are under the dinner table, whether literally or metaphorically, Paul is speaking to them. Meaning, if somebody is picking up the tab that is not you, some of you are like, well, I don't live at home. Right, but your parents pay for everything. You're, you're talking to you. I'm not, Paul is. Paul is looking at you. Because that's who Paul has in his mind's eyes. Kids that are still under the influence of their parents. And Paul begins here by saying, first things first. Children, obey your parents in all things. Paul is, I mean, this is going to blow your mind. Paul is instructing children that their primary responsibility is to obey their parents in all things. See, I just watched. Your minds were blown by that. Such deep insight. And we want to make sure, we want to qualify this, right? Obviously. And, and it's a shame that I have to say this. It's a shame that I have to say this, but I, I'm, I know of, and I've been around long enough to know, that if I don't make this qualification, people will use and abuse this verse for their own personal satisfaction and gain. Obviously, we want to make sure that we would not include things that are opposite of God's word. So if your parents tell you to go knock over a liquor store tonight, we would tell you, don't do that. Don't be obedient to your parents in that area. God is against that. That's like a straight up violation of like six commandments. Don't do that. You wouldn't go, well, the Bible says, obey my parents in all things, so I need the money. No, but even more seriously than that illustration, if a parent were to tell you or another one of your friends to do something that violates God's word, we would never encourage them to do it. Furthermore, obeying your parents is a disgusting situation. This is unfortunately one of the areas where Christians cause the most problems and struggle, actually. 
I just want to tell you that throughout the past three or four weeks today, because that's what God's word had to say, I'm sorry. And I wish that it could have helped you out of those things. But I just want to be real and raw. I'm not going to pretend here. Like, we feel guilt for staying in a situation or getting out of a situation that we're in for a different guilty even for being disobedient or something like that like we we i just want to take that as a lie from the enemy children are supposed to be protected by the parents not manipulated or disrespected whether that's physically verbally or sexually and christians need to make sure that we are on the forefront of protecting the protectless it's a shame that in our day and age we're to what the the passage actually says. Children, obey your parents in all things. Obey them. means that we are to obey what they tell us to do, even when it may not be what we want to do, right? Obedience is doing the thing that you're told the right way, the the way that you're told uh, with the right heart attitude. That's what, do what you're told the way you're told with the right heart attitude. I heard that so many times growing up. This is ungodly, but I just want to punish you. Like, I get it. And then I'm like, sometimes you get derailed on the whole right heart attitude thing. Can I just, again, pull back the curtain here a little bit and say, to you who are dating or think that you want to date or are thinking about thinking about dating, to those of you who are dating, thinking about getting engaged or getting married, Watch how the person you're dating treats their parents. Just watch how they treat their parents. I tell college students, if, if you get onto your mom around me, like that's not, that's not good. And I've said it to more than one college student. You're, you're getting upset with a person who literally pushed you out of their body. Like, they've already endured, some of them, like, 24, 36 hours just to get you here. And some of them probably now are wishing that they could put you back from whence you came. Because what you are right now is way worse than the pain that they experienced getting you here. Great Bill Cosby show line I brought to you. Into this world and I could take you out. Beloved, we're called to obey our parents. And furthermore of us who kind of sit on the other side, right? So proud kid, not under my parents' authority uh, anymore, because guess what? We pay all of our own bills. I wish that we could go back under their authority if they were willing to pick up the tab on some stuff. Ephesians talks about this idea of making sure that we honor 
our parents do. Even when you're outside, there's still honor that is due to our parents. Why, though? What's the motivation behind obeying them or even honoring them? Paul says, because it's pleasing to the Lord. Again, Paul is constantly, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, pushing us to go to the heart level. The heart motivation for being obedient to our parents, the heart motivation for being a kid that honors their parents, even after they moved out of the house, is because that's what pleases the Lord. Because ultimately, if we can be transparent in the room for a minute, some of you, the only reason why you obey your parents, the only reason why you even listen to them, is because it's easier than getting in a fight all the time. And your only motivation to please your parents, the only motivation that you have uh, to obey your parents is because you want to appease them and they'll just get off your back. I'm telling you, as your friend and as your pastor, that's unbiblical. God is after your heart at all times. He's after your heart motivation in every season and every stage. He's after your heart. And when you do things with the wrong heart motivations, it doesn't matter what they look like on the outside because ultimately God is far more concerned about what's going on in your own heart. So when you just appease a parent or you just appease what it means to to follow after Christ, when you just appease people to get by, I want to to confront you tonight with this. God is after something bigger. And God is trying to move you to a place that's bigger. So by means of application then, what areas of your relationship with your parents tonight need work? Some of you are like, man, really, this is the one that gets me the most. What areas of your relationship with your parents even your unbelieving parents need work. Again, a lot for us to get digested over this weekend. A lot for us to consider and contemplate in our own lives about even those of us who are adult children who maybe even tonight have kids of our own or even are preparing to have kids of our own. Still thinking about the ways that I honor my parents well is difficult. And and I would ask you this question too. In what ways are you promoting Christ in how you respond and interact with them? When your lost friends are around you with your parents and even your Christian friends, are you a picture of what it means to be a genuine Christ follower? go back to my senior year of high school and just write one big F over that. Because I was a dick. I tell high school parents that have seniors that are nervous about you guys moving to college, I just tell them, you're going to be amazed because in the next three years, you are going to go from being the stupidest person at your house to being the smartest person. Why? Because life will kick their teeth in. Some of you, that's happening right now. And you're realizing my parents aren't a 
ginormous idiot. But still, I've got to ask the question, like, are you promoting Christ in the way that you're treating your parents? Okay, let's move to the parents, right? Because everybody's like, okay, this is tough time to say it. So, let's move to parents. This is the other flip side of our conversation. Parents. Paul moves on to address the parents in verse 21. He says, Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Paul specifically addresses fathers. And I want to make this point crystal clear. Like, if you're taking notes, I hope that this would be something that would click in your brain. The reason why Paul addresses fathers specifically is because they are the head of the household and ultimately they are responsible for everything that takes place in the home. So don't think of this command as like, fathers don't provoke your children, but moms it's okay to. That's not what's in view here. Paul would say it probably like this. Fathers, do not provoke your children, and fathers, make sure your wives don't provoke your children as well. Because ultimately, it's the father who is that, he is the umbrella on which all of this sits underneath of. So that's why Paul is specifically singling out fathers. Parents specifically are to raise their kids in such a way so to not provoke their rebellious attitude. Some of you know what this feels like. That's an act of God's kindness in a weird way so that you won't repeat the same sins that you're calling your kids to repent of. Some of you moms, some of you daughters have grown up in houses where nothing that you wore or nothing that you looked like or nothing that you did was sufficient. In a weird way, that could be God's kindness, not to not then, certainly not in that moment, but now as you reflect back on those moments to know what it means to not do that with your kids and to not do that with your friends. Sometimes that's where it comes out. Before it can get the kids, it goes to the friends. You've had and lived and experienced this life where nothing that you could do was ever good enough. And now you, as a college student, feeling free on your own, are projecting that onto your friends. And you wonder why you keep pushing people away further and further because ultimately, you're again, you're allowing your experiences to dictate how you live in a day-to-day life and not letting God's word dictate how you live day-to-day. And you're projecting those things onto other people because of your own sinfulness, not because of your mom. You know, a lot of times, if you were to go into a secular counseling room, moms and dads get blamed for a lot of things that they should never be blamed for. They can be the cause or the root of something, but ultimately, everyone makes choices in and of their own selves. And, and you can get away by saying things, and you've heard me say, like, you're projecting, you'll hear this a lot, you're projecting this onto somebody else as a means to invalidate your own sinfulness. Brothers and sisters, can I just encourage you tonight not to let your own choices be an excuse to blame on somebody other 
within yourself. Like what you do is your own responsibility before God. Like one day you will stand and give an account. And the way that you will give an account for this specific command is if you are the type of parent who provokes their children to be rebellious and to lose heart, you will stand before God and you won't be able to say, God, it's not my fault. It's the mom and dad you gave me. You've been informed by God's word. We can't allow ourselves to read past experiences into what the Bible is saying. We have to take the Bible at face value. So when we understand that, parents, fathers specifically, have a calling to protect their children from being bitter and rebellious by caring for how they treat their children. I'm going to tell you, as somebody who's preparing to be a dad, this is challenging. This is challenging. And as somebody who's called to pastor and at times is called dad by some of you, it's challenging. Sometimes, I'm going to be real honest, I want to provoke you to anger because you've already got me there. starts looking like we have ever been mean to in our house that it's going to be my life and I have to fight the temptation to allow my anger to guide my response and not God's spirit walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh part of the reason why dads provoke their children to anger and moms too is because in the moment that something doesn't meet their perceived expectation of reality, they rage because in that moment, they're walking in the lust of their own flesh and not in the spirit. See, the Bible isn't just book by book by book, you know, think of like these standalone series, right? The Bible is interconnected, meaning the way that we're going to pull this off is by being aware of the ways in which the Bible calls us to be sanctified. I, I love a, a particular quote that I came across from one of the commentaries I read this week. And I think this sums up what a parent is supposed to be. And then I want to challenge us tonight in the way that we think about our parenting. He says this, the parent's duty is in effect to live out the gospel to their child. That is to assure their children that they are loved and accepted for who they are. And, and what he means there is not, oh, we're just tolerant of everything that's kind of thrown at us in culture, but loved and accepted by what the God's words says is the standard. So meaning that I move and think in forgiveness and love and acceptance in the way that God does, calling sinners to repentance and believers to holiness. So, so their parents are supposed to assure their children that they are loved and accepted for who they are, not for who they ought to be, should have been, or might if they just work a little harder become. Can I just tell you, that's a good motto for me as a pastor to say about you as I try to shepherd and at times, I know you said you don't want to use loved and accepted for who you are and by God's grace to help get you to where God's will was for you. And not hope that 
you be someone who I think you should be or what you haven't lived up to be yet or should have been or might, if you work a little bit harder, become. But again, the famous Paul Tripp question that we that rings in my ear when I read things like that is, are we satisfied with where we are spiritually? I think we, a lot of times I'll hear something to the effect of, Love and accept me for who I am and where I am. Beloved, I can't be okay with you staying in the same spot. Hopefully you leave our college ministry more mature, more in love with Christ, growing in him daily than you were when you were an 18-year-old and you stepped foot in here. And if you're going to get upset with me because, or you're going to get upset with Jess, or you're going to get upset with Tyler, or Judd and Kelly, or whoever else, Adam and Taylor, Landon and Greta, Mark and Candy, Shane and Stacy, Isaac and Kim, if you're going to get mad at any of them for pushing you to be more godly, I'm okay with that. Like, I just want you to know, you're like, your job isn't to parent me. No, our job is to nurture you and grow you up in the love and admonition of the Lord. So we're going to do that. And if you don't like it, I'm going to be okay with it when you're standing before God one day. Because ultimately, like I got it, we're responsibility. stubborn you're prideful and you won't bend to god and god has placed those parents in your life to push you in that direction i know some of you don't have that right now you don't have that person right now that's why there's 15 adults in here because we know some of you have moved halfway across the country to go to school and we're going to try and fix the gap for you soon and we know for some of you right now you need to hear the same thing that you hear from your mom and dad just in a different voice. If I had four fingers, Brother Tyler, I told a parent sometime over a child that they've been saved for months and it finally clicked, I would at least have a couple voices. I'd probably have a lot of pain, actually. But sometimes God has placed some different adults in your life, different parent figures, if you wish to say it that way, to be another voice to explain to you that you need to be stubborn and prideful and tough. And I'll be the first to admit, I've needed that constantly in my life and I'm still here. But I was wrong to listen to them. Because I found some answers that are a little bit deeper that I can get help. I need that help. And you never outgrow it. Can I just tell you that? You never outgrow it. Even our oldest are both Some of you aren't the last kid at home. Some of you have brothers and sisters who don't know the Lord or are getting godly parents, but they still need their parents to grow in the Lord. And some of you are living still in sin and you've yet to get to, to or begin to start in some of these inner fists. 
so that you can make the impression to these men that they would believe what this verse, this one verse in Colossians 3 lines out. I mean, it would literally take you a couple minutes every day to just pray. Father, just ask today that you'd help Mike and Audrey to not be parents that provoke their children to anger. So that David, Corey, and Nina, Jess and Sam would not be discouraged or disheartened. And I took all of 30 seconds to do that. Would you commit to praying for your parents and for your siblings? God, please help David, Corey, and Amy, Jess and Sam to honor Mike and Audrey today in the conversations that we might have or that we will have. That I would be a child that can be well-pleasing to the Lord ultimately and honor my parents. I'm 29 years old. I haven't lived at home since I was 15. But I still need to say that to them today. Second thing, would you commit to praying that you would be this kind of parent? That the person that you're dating would be this kind of parent? And that you would marry a person that will parent this well? they would live this out as well. Would you pray in the morning? This is something that I do. I don't talk about this a lot. I try and do this every day. Try to pray for our adult teens every day. I also try to pray for their kids because I work with their kids. I know how difficult and how tiring it must be for these kids, including my college kids. So I pray for them by name, even the ones who aren't in our ministry. Even the ones that aren't in the student ministry. Even the ones that can't talk yet fully. The babies. I'm praying it all the way down. I'm trying. And I do that with our staff. Kids as well. Man, now that Jared and Sam have left, it's cut from my time of praying for other people's kids. That siphon that whole group off. But I also... I want you to hear this too. I'm also praying specifically for, I'm praying specifically in different ways for our adult age kids. I pray different for Josh Buxton than I do for Nora Higgins. I pray that Josh would continue to grow in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And I pray that Nora would come to a realization of her need for Christ. And I pray that for Jax too. Because I'm concerned about their conversion just as much as I am about Josh being parented well. Because we've got to get outside of our little windows of thinking about college ministry as us four and no more. And begin to radically pray for the people around us. And the people who serve in here who give up their weekends to come to things like Renown. That are willing to let you play with their kids. Terrifying part of about adoption is the fact that some of you are going to influence our child. You're going to have to do more stuff to unwire them. But seriously, think about more than just yourself. 
sitting in the waiting room crowd. Because a lot of us, right, a lot of you sitting in here are a little ways away from being parents. You turn around and there'll be you. Let's pray together this morning.